0: chapter 1 of a confession this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org a confession by leo tolstoy translated by almer maud chapter 1 i was baptized and brought up in the orthodox christian faith i was taught it in childhood and throughout my boyhood and youth but when i abandoned the second course of the university at the age of 18 I no longer believed any of the things i had been taught judging by certain memories i never seriously believed them but had merely relied on what i was taught and on what was professed by grown-up people around me and that reliance was very unstable i remember that before i was 11 a grammar school pupil vladimir miljudin long since dead visited us one sunday and announced at the latest novelty a discovery made at his school this discovery was that there is no god and that all we were taught about him is a mere invention this was in 1838. I remember how interested my elder brothers were in this information. They called me to their council and we all, I remember, it became very animated and accepted it as something very interesting and quite possible. I remember also that when my elder brother Dmitri, who was by then at the university, suddenly, in the passionate way natural to him, devoted himself to religion and began to attend all the church services, to fast and to lead a pure and moral life, We all, even our elders, unceasingly held him up to ridicule and for some unknown reason called him Noah. I remember that Mushin Pushkin, then the curator of Kazan University, when inviting us to dance at his home, ironically persuaded my brother, who was declining the invitation, by the argument that even David danced before the ark. I sympathized with these jokes made by my elders and drew from them the conclusion that though it is necessary to learn the catechism and go to church, one must not take these things too seriously. I remember also that I read Voltaire when I was very young, and that his raillery, far from shocking me, amused me very much. My lapse from faith occurred as is usual among people on our level of education. In most cases, I think, it happens thus: a man lives like everybody else, on the basis of principles not merely having nothing in common with religious doctrine, but generally opposed to it. Religious doctrine does not play a part in life; in intercourse with others it is never encountered, and in man's own life he never has to reckon with it. Religious doctrine is professed far away from life and independently of it. If it is encountered, it is only as an external phenomenon disconnected from life. Then as now, it was and is quite impossible to judge by a man's life and conduct whether he is a believer or not. If there be a difference between a man who publicly professes orthodoxy and one who denies it, the difference is not in favor of the former. Then as now, the public profession and confession of orthodoxy was chiefly met among people who were dull and cruel and who considered themselves very important. Ability, honesty, reliability, good nature, and moral conduct were more often met among non-believers. The schools teach the catechism and send the pupils to church, and government officials must produce certificates of having received communion. But a man of our circle who has finished his education and is not in the government service may even now, and formerly it was still easier for him to do so, live for 10 or 20 years without once remembering that he is living among Christians, and he is himself reckoned a member of the Orthodox Christian Church. So that now his formerly religious doctrine accepted on trust and supported by external pressure thaws away gradually under the influence of knowledge and experience of life which conflicts with it and a man very often lives imagining that he still holds intact the religious doctrine imparted to him in childhood whereas in fact not a trace of it remains s a clever and truthful man once told me a story of how he ceased to believe once on a hunting expedition when he was already 26 he at the place where they had put up for the night knelt down in the evening to pray a habit retained from childhood his elder brother who was at the hunt with him was lying on some hay and watching him when s had finished and was settling down for the night his brother said to him so you still do that they said nothing more to each other but from that day s ceased to say his prayers or to go to church and now he has not prayed received communion or gone to church for thirty years And this is not because he knows his brother's convictions and has joined him in them, nor because he has decided anything in his own soul, but simply because the word spoken by his brother was like the push of a finger onto a wall that was ready to fall by its own weight. The word only showed that where he had thought there was faith, in reality there had long since been an empty space, and that therefore the utterances of words and the making of the signs of the cross and genuflections while praying were quite senseless actions. Becoming conscious of their senselessness, he could not continue them. So it has been and is, I think, with the great majority of people. I am speaking of people of our educational level who are sincere with themselves, and not of those who make the profession of faith a means of attaining worldly Such aims. Such people are the most fundamental infidels, for if faith is for them a means of attaining any worldly aims, then certainly it is not faith. These people of our education are so placed that the light of knowledge in life has caused an artificial erection to melt away, and they have either already noticed this and swept its place clear, or they have not yet noticed it. The religious doctrine taught me from childhood disappeared in me as in others, but with this difference. That is, from the age of fifteen I began to read philosophical works. My rejection of the doctrine became a conscious one at a very early age. From the time I was sixteen I ceased to say my prayers and ceased to go to church or to fast of my own volition. I did not believe what had been taught to me in childhood, but I believed in something. What it was I believed in, I could not have said. I believed in a God, or rather I did not deny God, but I could not have said what sort of God. Neither did I deny Christ and his teachings, but what his teachings consisted in, I again could not have said. Looking back on that time, I now see that clearly my faith, my only real faith, that which apart from my animal instincts gave me an impulse in life, was a belief in perfecting myself. But in what this perfecting consisted of and what its object was, I could not have said. I tried to perfect myself mentally. I studied everything I could, anything life threw in my way. I tried to perfect my will. I drew up rules I tried to follow. I perfected myself physically, cultivating my strength and agility by all sorts of exercises, and accustoming myself to endurance and patience by all sorts of privations. And all this I considered to be the pursuit of perfection. The beginning of it all was, of course, moral perfection. But that was soon replaced by perfection in general by the desire to be better not in my own eyes or those of God, but in the eyes of other people. And very soon this effort again changed, into a desire to be stronger than others, to be more famous, more important, and richer than others. End of chapter 1